Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to get to our conversation here shortly with Zach Blair and uh, the golf course architect for Sweetens Cove and what ultimately will be the Buck Club, uh, Mr. Rob Collins. Uh, we wanted to catch up with them to see what the status of the Buck Club is. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of questions about that. And we also spend a lot of time talking about Sweetens Cove. Um, of course, a lot has been written about Sweetens Cove over the last several years, but it is a pretty remarkable story about how this golf course came to be. And having just left playing it all weekend, uh, I was even more impressed the second time around. And it's a course that a lot of people have had a lot of good things to say about over the last several years, but uh, it wasn't really until this past trip that I really, really would say that I now get it and kind of see the genius behind it. So as best as we can, we try to talk uh, to Rob about how it came together and what his inspirations were, the challenges that come with it, and how they're going to replicate that at the Buck Club in Utah and why why Zach has employed Rob to help him with the project uh, and helped design it. So we we left again feeling pretty pretty inspired after talking to these guys and uh, hearing all they had to say this weekend and seeing seeing the actual layout and the plans for the Buck Club. So hope this answers a lot of questions that are out there about this uh, golf course that does not fully exist yet, uh, except on paper. So before we get going, I want to make sure you guys check out Callaway's new Golf Lives Home Course. It's original short films, and they set out to profile three unique golf locations around the country based on their stories, the communities, and the characters. Uh, the three stops are at Edgefield, which is a laid-back uh, golf course outside Portland. They got two par three courses there, 12 and 20 holes, and a distillery bar as the pro shop. And then there's Langston. It's just about 15 minutes from the White House, and it's known for its triumphant role in the desegregation of public golf. And lastly is Wild Horse Golf Club. It's widely considered one of the top public courses in the country, and it was built by farmers in a uh, community uh, in Gothenburg, Nebraska. So the, the uh, cultures across the series are remarkable. The cultures across the series are remarkably diverse, and the courses are united by the passion of the players who call them home. A lot like the golf courses that we're going to talk about on this podcast with Zach and Rob. So, visit CallawayGolf.com/golflives to watch each episode of Golf Lives Home Course. Now, let's get to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. Tron is here. We wanted to try to catch these two gentlemen this past weekend at Sweetens Cove at The Ringer. We weren't able to make it happen, but we're joined by the uh, the co-architects of the Buck Club, Zach Blair and Rob Collins. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we want to talk a bit about. So obviously, we all went to the Ringer at Sweetens Cove. Zach, I want you to first kind of take us to why we were all meeting at in Tennessee this past weekend. What you and Rob are working on, and why Sweetens Cove has played a role in this. Um, for me, kind of, I had this idea uh, a few months back of of trying to get a bunch of people that have been interested in the project and um, wanted to learn more about it or meet other people that have uh, that have liked the whole idea behind TBC and try and get them in one place to just kind of uh, it was more honestly of like a networking event to to meet some people that are interested and kind of share some ideas and 
you know, hopefully those guys know a couple people that are interested where they can kind of tell them what went down and what they learned. And, um, yeah, I mean, we chose Sweetens Cove. It was a perfect spot. You know, obviously Rob and Tad did an awesome job out there and it really showcases, uh, kind of their ideas and their design philosophies. So it was a perfect place to hold that at. And it was, you know, everybody had fun. So it was great. Rob, I can't imagine how many times you've told the story, but uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast, I'm sure have been to Sweetens Cove, but I'm sure there's also a lot that have never been there. So I want you to take us there as to what it is, what it was before you turned it into Sweetens Cove and kind of, I can't imagine how many times you've told that story, but uh, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, for sure. So this is, I'll kind of give you the Reader's Digest version, and if you want to, if you need any additional details, I can definitely fill you in. But, um, so Tad and I were hired in 2011 um, to rebuild the old Sequatchie Valley Golf and Country Club, and there's still the hilarious blue sign up there that um, the day, our day, opening day in 2014, Ari Techner, my, one of my partners at Sweden's Cove, went out and stuck those little signs out on the, the road, road sign, and um, that's kind of all, all part of it, too. But anyway, Tad and I started in 11. We finished it in 12. Um, the guys who financed the construction basically deciding that they didn't really want to deal with it, and so they ended up leasing it to me, and after a little bit of a negotiation period, um, I took it over with a group of partners in 2014, and um, we got it open. And as far as what it was like beforehand, it was just a dead flat pasture land. The Squatchy Valley Golf Course was just a, you know, really country flat golf course. And, um, you know, Tron calls uh, Sweden's Cove like Disneyland. And I mean, that's basically, I mean, I think that's like the best, like, one word description of it. I mean, it's kind of just all pulled out of thin air and in the middle of this random place and it's just you know a lot of fun shots um kind of different looking and you know things are it's all my favorite stuff in architecture just kind of blended up and spit out into one golf course and that's basically sweet and cove and we've been open now for almost exactly four years and uh ringer was the perfect four-year anniversary for us because it's an unbelievable weekend Rob, how did you find it in the first place? I, you know, it's like the, I, I call it a, a big adult sandbox um, as well. It's kind of the most fun you can have if you're a golfer. But how did you find it? How did you get set up at Sequatchie Valley in the first place? I uh, really was desperate to get back into architecture. Uh, I was kind of a victim of the financial crisis in 2008. Um, you know, I, I, Tad, my partner Tad King and I had discussed going into business before, and the, the the financial crisis kind of forced our hand, and we were like, "Screw it, let's let's do it." And so we went into business, and um, you know, we were really you know looking for a first course, and um, I was doing anything I could to, to stay in the business, and I really wanted to get involved with the project up at Swanee, which is a nine-hole course that Gil Hans did. I um, actually went to Swanee, so I knew a lot about it, and I got in touch with this guy who was kind of running things up. His name's King Emig. Uh, he's a kind of a local golfing legend in, in Chattanooga, and he was heavily involved with the with the Swanee project. And he said, "I'd love to help you out getting involved with that, but I just heard about this new project down in the valley. Uh, the guys that own Sequatchie Concrete are 
thinking about doing something there. I'll put you in touch with them, and one thing led to another. Could you have imagined that uh, Sweeten's Cove would have turned into what it is today? It's it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it's um, you know, it's a little bit of a surreal feeling. I mean, because I, I lived the whole story of it in the ups and downs, and there's been a lot of downs, and there's been a lot of uncertainty for the last um, six, seven years. You know, through construction and the course, you know, getting left and then there was a gap in time where we had to take it over and um you know we went broke in 2014 right after we opened um and then the fact that there's people from all over the country and the world there with with Zach and all you guys last week is just it's kind of hard to to believe you know I mean it, after everything that we went through to get to that point it, it it does it does blow my mind but I will say that you know, I was so intent on getting back into architecture and and making a name for King Collins that, you know, I the analogy I had in my mind, I've never really said this, this will probably sound kind of obnoxious, but I, I wanted to give a Crumpian effort to it. You know, I, this was going to be like my Pine Valley. You know, I, I was going <laughs> to die out there if I had to. Um, to get one in the ground, and uh, there's no way in hell I was going to stop or quit. And um, you know, we somehow, some way, made it happen. And I knew it was good, and I'm, I knew that if it ever saw the light of day, people people would really like it. But there was so much uncertainty and so much financial uncertainty that I didn't know if it ever would see the light of day. So that that's really the the amazing thing is that we've made it this far. But Zach, what was your your initial kind of reaction, or did it? How did it differ from how people described it the first time you played it? I believe back in March or April of this year. Yeah, so I had uh, you know heard a lot about it. I had actually talked to Rob and Tad kind of over Twitter and um, seen all the posts. You know, heard Andy talk about it. Heard you guys you know say how much you liked it. So uh, you know, I obviously had high expectations going in. And, um, you know, when you go there, it's, it's kind of undescribable, um, how much fun it is, how many options there are on each hole, the, the green complexes and, you know, all the short grass everywhere. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's just so much fun. It's so, so much different than what you see, um, at really any other golf courses you go play that it's kind of I mean, it's just amazing. It's really cool. So, you know, I had already decided to bring um, Rob and Tad on to help with uh, the Buck Club before I went and saw Sweetens. And literally, like, two holes in, once I got out there, I was like, yeah, I made the right decision. So it was pretty cool. Well, broadly speaking, I know we uh, you were on the podcast last year and we talked in uh, some pretty good detail about the Buck Club, but kind of want to hear from you. Uh, for those that did, maybe didn't hear that, what the Buck Club is, uh, how you dreamed it up, and uh, kind of what maybe what, what the progress has been over the last year since we last discussed it on the podcast. Yeah, so, I mean, the whole idea behind the place is to just bring kind of like a pure golf club to utah um we don't really have anything that caters just strictly to golf and uh we don't really have any place kind of like sweetens or like uh you know a cal club or a 
Whisper Rock or, you know, where the kind of golf geeks can go nerd out and have fun. And I thought it would be a perfect place just because there are a lot of people in Utah and around the area that appreciate that stuff. So I thought it would be cool to do that. You know, it's been kind of a project for the last you know, six years, I would say. And it's uh, picked up a lot of momentum over the last couple of years and especially lately. And um, yeah, just basically looking for some investors and some people to help out. But everyone's kind of uh, catching the buzz and kind of riding the wave right now. So it's been really cool to, to see the progress and hopefully we can get something going here shortly. For those that haven't seen either place, Sweetens Cove sits pretty much at the bottom of a valley, and the Buck Club is very mountainous terrain, so it's very different terrains. But Rob, I want to know what you thought of what eventually would become Sweetens the first time you kind of saw that land, how that went. Well, uh, Kane called me and said, hey, Rob, let's let's go out there and check this place out. We went out there, and we're walking around, and there was this old shed down there with a bunch of broken down equipment, and... You know, we were just looking out at this dead flat piece of ground with the open concrete ditch running down the middle of seven and eight. And I thought, what in the hell are you doing with your life, you loser? I mean, this this, this is not good. I mean, this is where you've got to start. There's a problem. And uh, it was, you know, Tad and I have said this. I mean, it was the worst golf course I've ever seen. And um, that's not a hyperbolic statement. That's just what it was. And, um, but we got the job and the great thing about it was, is it was a blank slate. And I don't know that, I mean, we could not, we got so lucky with our client, um, Reese, um, Thomas. I mean, he just, he believed in us and he just was like, you know, he, he let us go out there and do that. I mean, there's a lot of guys who are far more accomplished, you know, have a much bigger resume than us um, for, you know, for a project that wouldn't get turned loose like that. So we were really, really lucky to have him believe in us and, and, and turn us loose. And um, we had some extraordinarily talented people helping us. And, you know, next thing you know, Sweden Cove came out of that. But um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, <laughs> it was a tough beginning, I will say that. And going from that kind of location to start with to a place like the Buck Club, are they uh, opposite ends of the spectrum? Oh, totally. I mean, you look at the land at the Buck Club and you're just freaking out at the possibilities. I mean, the the, the hole that we call the Mega Redan, I mean, the first time we were out there uh, last, last year and at the end of October, I mean, it's obvious. It would say the same thing that that is a redan, and it's just got this huge kicker on the right. And there's like this perfect cliff where you can build a bunker. I mean, you hardly have to do anything, and um, it's just tailor-made for this all-world redan. I mean, you'd be an idiot to not be able to build a good redan there. So thrilling to be involved with this project in a place that has this much potential. I mean, it, it has got so much potential. It's just God, if we get goosebumps just thinking about it yeah i guess question for each of you rob what have you learned from zach or what are you most impressed with by zach uh coming from a professional golf background and then conversely uh zach what have you learned from rob as this process has gone along well somebody asked me a question the other day um kind of about how zach and i work and i'll try to answer your question tron um so I'll start off by saying that Zach and I 
it oftentimes feels like we're kind of sharing a brain on this um, because we're basically mining the same well of information, um, the same pool of information. We like the same stuff. We're, you know, coming from the same place. Like Zach will throw out an idea, and every single time I'm like, wow, that's a phenomenal idea. Let's do it. And um, so we're kind of, we're in the same headspace. And, you know, I have learned from Zach, um, listening to him talk about how, you know, different ways to challenge, um, you know, the tour player and in, in, in the, in the better player. And it's kind of solidified my belief that one thing I don't think a, a lot of modern golf courses get right is um, the, the dynamic of, of how uh, playability versus penalty works. And, you know, I am all for a very, very playable golf course. Sweden's Cove is, a, as you guys know, a very, very playable golf course. Um, but there, you can get ejected, I mean, if you get in the wrong position. And I think that's a really important dynamic that, that you have to maintain. I mean, that's where the thrill of, of golf comes in. It's in the thrill of challenging that hazard or challenging that contour and being successful. And if you're not successful, paying the price. So, you know, Zach... In, in the way he looks at things and, and his belief that, you know, you need to have that dynamic is strengthened, you know, that, that belief in me. And I think that that's a place where Zach really excels because he can hit shots that the rest of us can't hit, except for maybe Sully. And, um, and you know, it's, he thinks about things and understands how you can challenge, you know, the really elite player, but at the same time give other people a, a chance and, and I think that that's going to be a really cool dynamic at the Buck Club. And Zach, going to you, what what have you learned from Rob through this process? Well, I would say first off, um, you know, originally when I had this idea, you know, the first couple of years, I had kind of said, "Hey, I'm going to do this thing on my own. We're not going to hire an architect. You know, we don't we don't need one." Um, but, you know, I can do this myself, and and I feel like I could have done it myself. But after talking to Rob, you know, via Twitter, like that's literally how this started. You know, I was asking him ideas and, you know, asking him what he thought and, you know, just random like chats on Twitter, like every couple of weeks. And and then hearing about Sweetens Cove from people that, you know, I trusted their opinions. I was like, dude, we need to get we need to get these guys out here and at least see what they think, meet them. And I would say within like 30 minutes of meeting those guys and talking to Rob and getting on the, you know, on the site, walking around, I was like, okay, like screw my idea of like doing it by myself. Like this guy is like the guy I want to bring in. And he mentioned it, you know, we 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 think very we think very similarly. Um, we have a lot of ideas that are the same. And, and like he said, when I say something and he's like, man, that's a good idea. He does the exact same thing. Like every time we talk and we talk about this every single day. So it's pretty cool to have somebody like that. We have the same design philosophies about making courses playable and, you know, making them fun enough for the average golfer but hard enough for players that are good and I mean that's that's the thing that 
Utah for sure is definitely missing, and it's missing in a lot more places than Utah, but we have nothing even on the same level as something like Sweden's Cove. And if we can build something like that, 18 holes or however, what we're, whatever we're going to do out at TBC, like it's going to be a home run and people are going to travel from all over the world to come play it like they do at Sweden's. So I'm uh, very proud like to have Rob and Tad on board and it's been really cool working with them. And I mean, you know, Rob talked about how he made, you know, how Sweden's was kind of his, version of Pine Valley with, uh, you know, compared to Crump and how it was kind of his brainchild. And he, he literally died on property working on it and trying to make that happen. And, you know, that's kind of what we've done with TBC. It's something that we do every day, talk about all the time. And, you know, we've got so much blood, sweat, and tears into this thing and this whole design process that I think it's going to really blow people away with, uh, you know when it's finished and when they see it. I want to piggyback on. I want to piggyback on something Zach was saying right there. And um, you know that is. I mentioned this to Zach when I was in Utah. Um, I was fortunate at Sweetens Cove. We first got approached in like July of 2010, and there was kind of this relationship with the client that didn't formalize for like eight months. So I had like eight months to dream about it. And each hole at Sweden's Cove went through like four or five iterations. And like the first versions of the holes that I thought were like really good, but you know, in hindsight, they weren't, they weren't anywhere near as good as what turned out. And that sort of baking process that it went through really made, helped make Sweden's Cove what it is. It gave me time and it gave Tad and I time to kind of formulate this full-on plan, and um, and the end result was, was much better. And and you know I'm I'm sure Zach wishes in some respects that TBC was you know already built and we were doing this podcast from the porch of the clubhouse. Um, but the time that it's taken um, to to go through things and you know each time Zach throws out an idea, it's it's infinitesimally better you know some you're, he just incrementally just keeps getting better 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 and and now we're finally at a place where i i really think we have a plan that, that's mature and has kind of gone through the process and gone through the necessary revisions i mean it's like writing a book in some regard i mean you, you know you, you don't go with your rough draft i mean this is a fully baked concept and it's it's money i mean it will we're gonna kill it <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not joking that I said I walked away from this weekend just feeling inspired. Like, it, I think Zach, when we talked last fall, I mean, you had ideas for holes, you had sketches, you knew kind of what you wanted to do. But is it fair to say, like, you didn't have this concept that currently exists? And, and if I'm right, and if I'm right in saying, all 18 holes and even some bonus holes are laid out and like set in stone for what you guys are going to do. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we have like a you know, a championship style routing, um, that you, you can go play 18 holes. We also have, you know, some, some fun holes that kind of, um, you can play if you want, you can, you can kind of go do whatever you want. This idea that we have right now with this place is, is pretty outrageous. You know, we got like 22 green complexes, a ton of fairway, big putting surfaces. And, 
you know, you can go play it, like I said, like a normal 18-hole golf course. Or, you know, if it's not busy, you can go out there and kind of treat it like a big putting green and just go play to whatever hole you want. And that's one cool thing that they offer out at Sweetens Cove. And it's just something you don't see that often. And it's something that I think takes a lot of a lot of thought and a lot of, um, you know, it, it takes a lot of thought to pull something like that off. And like Rob was saying, you know, this thing has gone through the ringer and just, you know, iteration after iteration changed and gotten better and kind of matured to where it is now. And, it, you know, it's at the point now where, you know, if we can get some funding, you know, we're going to have one of the best golf courses in the world, which will be fun. As far as once you do get that funding locked up, when you do get that funding locked up, um, what do you envision the membership model or, or, you know, whether it be semi-private or private or kind of a English, Scottish style club setup? Describe that for us. Yeah, you know, the one thing that I've always wanted, um, I've always wanted a great national and international membership. Um, We wanted at a price point that is extremely doable for people all around the world and all around the country to be able to come in and show this place off to their friends and, you know, bring groups out kind of like they do at Sweetens Cove and have this course, um, you know, ready to play for, for a bunch of people and just so everyone can come in and have fun. So, um, I guess to answer your question, you know, looking for a big national membership and hopefully, you know, hopefully people will be down for that and come out and support and join the club and bring a bunch of their friends and go have fun. So you will need a member invite to get out to play any unaccompanied rates or anything that's going to kind of follow like the Sand Hills model or any, or Terra 80 model or anything like that. Yeah. You know, the Sand Hills model, um, I'm a little familiar with it. Not, not so much. I'm not as familiar with the Terra 80 model, but you know, we definitely want to offer, uh, you know, an option for people to come play it. And that, that's how you get a good national membership, I think, is by allowing some sort of access for people to get out there and play it. Because I think it's going to be a type of place where if you can go out and play it or if you get the chance to go and play it, you're definitely going to leave being like, okay, how do I make this work like this is something that i need to have work um so yeah i definitely think you'll you'll have the ability to um see it and play it and hopefully want to join right after you're done uh playing the uh the devil's advocate role here and i'm going to take the role of an online hater which i'm sure there are at least some on twitter that kind of uh are very skeptical about uh, about this coming together, and a lot of people. Some of the reaction I get is like, a, "It's a what are you wearing there? What hat is that? Oh, it's the Buck Club. Where's that? Well, it's gonna be in Utah because you have an entire merchandise line. Belt, every piece of swag you could imagine exists for this golf course that does not yet exist. What is the purpose, I guess, of all of the extracurricular stuff that has come with this project or with the Buck Club gear and all of the all of the hype? What is what is that? Uh, what what are you doing that for, and what's that doing for the Buck Club? Well, for me, you know, um, I kind of just went in saying, like, okay, I have this idea. I really think it's going to work, but I don't have the money to pull something like this off by myself. How can I, you know, spread the word and get this idea out there for somebody that, you know, hopefully falls in love with it? And my idea was, like, let's, like, make this brand 
and push this stuff out there, get people talking about it, get people wearing it, get people loving this idea. And, uh, you know, that's kind of just what I did. You know, I started off with hats and, you know, the first couple of, I, I guess, months or first year or two when, when I was, you know, selling this stuff, I think there were a lot more haters and a lot more people that were very skeptical of this idea of like oh my god like who would wear a sh you know a shirt or a hat from a course that doesn't exist but i would say like now now that idea is pretty laughable to think at you know i have people coming up to us all the time being like where can i buy this hat where can i buy this shirt you know how, how do i get in on this you know tell me more about it and it's been kind of this guerrilla marketing effort just getting the word out there and kind of you know, casting this huge net out in the golfing world and just uh, hopefully somebody bites and catches on, falls in love with it and wants to be a part of it. Zach, what's the status of the land that you have uh, out in Utah right now? Do you have it, do you have it purchased? Do you, do you have an option on it? How's that work? Yeah, working on it right now. Uh, one of the partners came out to the ringer, um, had a great time and kind of, I think it was a real eye-opening experience for him to kind of really fully realize like, wow, this isn't just like some kid's idea with, you know, a couple of friends from Utah, you know, he saw 60 plus people from around the world come out <laughs> and support this event, you know, for a golf course that doesn't exist. And, um, not only that, there were hundreds of people who had, you know, who were on a waiting list. I mean, it was an unbelievable response. Yeah. So, um, so I think we're going to get in some, you know, serious conversations in the next few days um, with the landowners and hopefully we can lock something up. And um, like we said, just still looking for people to come help out and jump on board. And, you know, I think we have a real unique opportunity offering something that not too many places can offer, uh, you know, getting in kind of on the ground level and being involved in a process of building and joining a club that really has a chance to be one of the more special projects in the last, you know, 20 to 30 years of golf. And Rob, you touched on this a little bit. And Zach, I want to hear from you next on this because you've done a basically a shitload of travel around the world to learn from a lot of different places. But uh, Rob, I know we talked some about what your inspirations were for Sweetens Cove, kind of some of those courses. But is there anything else you're drawing inspiration for um, in the building of the Butt Club that you've seen? Well, I, I think that Zach and I have a share of you know mutual affinity for National Golf Link. Um, in, in the old course, I mean, there, there's, I think Zach would agree that there's a whole lot of the old course and a whole lot of national kind of baked into the Buck Club. Um, and one of the things I think will be really cool about how that all shakes out in the field, you know, is, is Zach and Tad and I kind of massage things in, is that you may not look at something and go, oh, that's like, you know, the... 14th hole at the old course, or that's like, you know, number three at national, there's, there's going to be like little bits and pieces of it. And it's kind of expressed in a different and unique way. Um, it's mainly taking the underlying lessons from those, those types of places and, and, and applying them to the amazing piece of property that we've identified and, and all this time, you know, coming up with this plan on and Zach, where what else? What have you seen that just kind of like has really sat with you, really resonated with you, or anything maybe you've seen in the last year that has changed what you thought you might do with the Buck Club? You know, um, for me, it, it 
it's just I've had the opportunity and have been lucky enough to travel and play the best golf courses around the world. And my idea kind of from the get-go was to go to these places and see what makes them great, see what makes these holes great, or see what makes these clubs the way they are. And just kind of cherry pick ideas and and philosophies from each place and throw them all into one huge pile and just make this this amazing club. And as far as the golf course, I I would say, you know, uh, our trip down to Australia, you know, going over to Scotland one more time and, and just seeing how amazing like short grass is has really been pumped into tbc over the last couple of months of just like you know kind of taking some bunkers out around the greens and and you know making it more short grass just giving people more options and some different playability that they won't see necessarily too many places in the states i think that's kind of one thing that will be a definite tone setter and something that sets it apart from from other other clubs and it's going to be really cool to see how it shakes out Zach, on that on that subject, uh, from an agronomy perspective, what kind of grass do you have out in Utah? And you know, can you get it as nippy and as firm as you need to to play like you want it to? Yeah, I think a big thing um, for me and Rob and you know some other people that are involved is definitely like playability of the golf course. Um, you know, you have all these ideas and and you want them to play a certain way, and in order to do that. You know, we're not blessed with, you know, being on being on some like sand dunes like in sand hills or on the the coast of somewhere with some real sandy property. We're gonna have to, you know, spend some money and and bring in some sand in to sand cap the place more and, and making it making sure we can get it firm and fast because that's kind of an underlying um, principle that needs to happen in order for the course to play well. Because uh, we want to, we want it to play firm and fast. And, and as far as the grass goes, I think we're going to have to, you know, do some testing and see what works. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, there are places in Utah that you can get really firm and fast. And um, I, I'm excited to see kind of what route we go with that. And I think people will be pretty happy when they uh, see it finished. Having spent now, I guess four or five full days at Sweetens, what's your favorite hole out there? For me, you know, five is pretty ridiculous. I think that's one of the the five and seven, I would say, are two of the best short par fours in the entire world. Like, and that's describe them for us. Um, five, God, you know, five. How how long is five, Rob? Like three. It's, it's like five, like two eighty three from the tip, two ninety something like that. Like way way back. Like we were playing it. We played it a lot this weekend from, like, it's kind of fun playing it from, like, 240, 250, 75, probably is about as long as we played it this weekend. Yeah, so it's, you know, under, you know, sub 300, uh, big fairway, but, like, you know, you're always going for the green, it seems like, and there's one big giant, you know, not giant, there's one bunker right in the middle of the green basically that the green wraps around it and the green's built up you know 10 feet probably eight to ten feet falls off you know all directions and you know the internal contours on the green that kind of let you 
you know, allow you to play balls to the right side of the green that will feed around the bunker kind of these to these back left pins. You know, it's pretty it's a pretty brilliant hole that's like so easy until you screw up and then it's just like disaster is lurking everywhere. Um like we had we had we put a couple of pins kind of left this week over this bunker that were so nasty like I think a couple people died in the bunker. This week. There have been so many good ejection videos showing up on Twitter. I was oh my watching gosh. a couple of them today. That Peter Smith and uh, Jim Hartzell had yeah, Jim. the most yeah. amazing ejections ever. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a cool hole. And like I said, it's just like it's so easy. It's like, you know, the green's the green's pretty big. How, how many square feet is that? Like eight or nine, you know, like 8,000 square feet probably? Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, yeah. Right a lot that. of lot of room to hit your ball, but the second you miss, it's just like the second you miss on that hole, you, you kind of have to risk making like a double bogey if you want to make a par, if that makes sense. And yeah, that's, 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 one, that's one thing that, I've kind of told like Rob in this whole design process, like that's the type of stuff you want. You want options and you want holes to be scorable. But when somebody screws up and gets aggressive and misses in the wrong spot or, or tries to hit a miracle shot, if they don't pull it off, you know, you kind of want to punch them in the face. And um, that that's kind of a hole like that. And then seven is another hole, you know, probably like 330 drivable little teeny green that's kind of like i would say got has some pinehurst number two in it like a like a bowl turned over falls off on all sides and i mean i don't know if i've ever seen like so many people get ejected as i saw dude i personally i that whole like haunts my dreams i (laughs) i don't think i I I figured out I've probably played that hole fifty or sixty times now. I don't think I've ever figured out how to play it correctly. I've gone I've gone seventy yards left. I've gone down the the, the adjacent fairway on the right side. I've I've hit an eight iron off the tee. I've hit driver over the green. It's like I, I've been searching and searching and searching and there's just there's like no there's no recipe for it. You just gotta sack up and hit two good shots. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the perfect way to describe that. You could hit nine iron off the tee. You could hit driver, you know, and whatever you do, you just have to kind of like say, okay, I'm going to hit it in the, you know, middle or, you know, the middle front or the middle back, wherever the pin is, and just try and make a putt. Because that hole, you know, anytime the pin is not in the center of the green, anytime it's around the sides or the edges, if you try and take it on and you miss, you you know you you ha- you're staring like double or triple in the face. You can just hit it back and forth all day. But if you went into that hole saying like, okay, I'm gonna hit driver down the right and have a 70 yard shot or a 60 yard shot, and I'm just gonna hit it to the middle of the green, I would say you would make par like 95 to 99 percent of the time if if you hit a decent shot. If you execute, that hole is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that hole is so tempting to go for the pin. You know, you have such a short shot. It doesn't look as intimidating as it as it really is. The second you go for it and miss, you just kind of get, uh, yeah, ejected. That's a perfect, uh, I mean, that's what you want in golf, though. You know, and that's what we want to do at TBC is, and that hole, that hole is surrounded the whole way around 
short grass around the entire hole. There's no green side bunkering. Um, there is the, you know, there is the big bunker short left, like in the fairway, but that hole, you just are presented with so many options and, you know, you can drive the green and make Eagle, or you can, you know, try and drive the green and make a seven. So it's pretty cool. I was shocked this weekend. How many people we played a four club, uh, round, you know, competition. And I was shocked at how many people scored better during the four club competition than they did with a full bag. It was just like taking, you know, like making them do a certain thing and commit and committing to it instead of, instead of trying to decipher how to play it and then not being committed to a shot. I know Sally, you, you were blown away at how well you played with the four club. I might just be a four club player now. <laughs> it, it works so well at Sweetens. I mean, it is kind of like a, I mean, at one point I had to decide between hitting a driver into a par five or a nine iron with the two clubs. I was between. And I just had to like, punt. <laughs> I had to punch a driver and uh, like try to use the slope to kill it into the, into the bank. And, it, and when I executed that one, that had more joy than I ever would have experienced if I'd hit like the six iron that I probably needed to. So uh, one thing you guys introduced this weekend too uh, for our competition. So for the ringer, you know, 60 people are playing in this event and we did like all kinds of different formats, stable thirds, you know, uh, four club challenge, a team event. But I've never seen this where you introduce two different pins and the Stableford points were different. If you went for the colored flags, it was more points than the easy pins. And for a golf course that already presents just a million options, I was overwhelmed with the option. Like three different times, the pin, the front pin on one, I said, this is the hardest pin I've ever seen. And I ended up getting <laughs> goaded into going for it all three times. How did, that, how did that process come together of coming up with that format? Um, for me... You know, I went in thinking, like, Sweetens has these very unique green complexes that there's a lot of really easy pins, like, in bowls, and then there's a lot of pins that are on, you know, totally flat parts of the green, but are, like, surrounded by death. And I was like, this this course would present so well with multiple pins out there, you know, because... We were only there for two days, and we played golf basically sun up till sundown both days. But at a truly great golf course and and a place like Sweden's Cove, you have to keep playing it over and over to really see different things. And every time you play it, you learn new things or see different stuff. So I thought it would be a cool way to kind of show the course off um, even better than it shows off with one pin. And I, I think people really, really like loved that format, and it was really cool. And I, I mean, that's that's another thing at TVC. Like, I think we should do that like a couple times a week. Have multiple pins out there. The greens are so big, and they're you know they're, the idea behind them is to allow so much variety that it's pretty fun to go do something like that. It was really cool going around with people who had never played the course before, and like on number four, um, the front pin on saturday it was i think it was like 100 yards it was between. 83 yards <laughs> oh the 100 yards between the flags between yeah, the, the flags, front pin yeah. was like 83 and then the back one was like 170 something like that and uh, <laughs> uh, rob what's it i mean what was it like i guess having you know 60 people or 60 or so people come in from pretty much everywhere to play this golf course after all you guys have been through and uh, could you have ever really pictured uh pictured sweden's cove becoming what it has become no, that was just the biggest thrill for me. I mean, I I pretty much had a shit-eating grin on my face the whole weekend. I mean, 
fact that there were 60 people there just having the best time and enjoying the golf course in the way that you know it was intended to be enjoyed was an unbelievable thrill for me. And you know the games that Zach and Panther Mike came up with were were so clever and so much fun. I mean, I've been I've played that golf course tons of times, and Patrick's played it like a thousand times. And like I was talking to Patrick, I mean, we we were seeing shots and spots and, and different things that we've never experienced before because we we were like playing from one pin to like or like playing from one tee to a pin that we've never seen. Like that pin that was on one, that front left pin, I've never seen that before. And um, you know, I, I I shot the worst round I've probably shot there maybe maybe ever in the Stableford format because I was being aggressive on every single one and I just I was just getting ejected on every single hole. And the more I got ejected, the more I was like, well, I've got to go for it because I'm so far out of it. I've, I've got to get five points, you know? And so that, that was like a really fun dynamic. I, I just, the whole thing was, it was the most fun I've ever had playing golf. I just, I can't thank Zach enough and all you guys and, and everybody who came together. It was, it was, it was so fun. I mean, I think the, the quote of the weekend for me was, um, Somebody said, "What what happened? What's the disaster plan if something happens to golf Twitter? You know, in like a catastrophic event at Sweden's Cove, like <laughs> and pretty much everybody was gonna was gonna be gone. That was it was just amazing having everybody out there. I just it was, it was incredible." Rob, when you're designing a hole like like number four, like the green out there, number four, like, at any point where you did anybody pressure you to? soften it or tell you that you were absolutely insane um <laughs> and then and 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 b has that have you brought that mentality anything that you learned from that into the buck club where you know now you're like all right people told me i was insane and then i built it and then now everybody's like oh this this hole's awesome you kind of bring that confidence it's almost like an irrational confidence yeah to be clear you are insane but like the right <laughs> just the right amount yeah. of insane. <laughs> yeah no i mean absolutely i mean i totally agree with with y'all i mean there is a, definitely a touch of insanity out there um adam lawrence had the the english golf writer had the best line ever the first time he saw it he's like bloody hell rob i've seen a himalayas green but never on the golf course <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, and so you know, I I will totally concede, and I've said this before that I had you know several sleepless nights during construction. Um, in particular, when we were building number three, I was just like, oh lord, we've we've gone overboard, you know. And, but um, you know, we were trying to touch the line but not go past it. And you know, I have to give a ton of credit to Tad, my partner. In the in the finish work, he did an absolutely amazing job finishing those greens, so that those you know so that they were they maintained their playability. Like all of our um, all of our pinnable areas are really subtle, so you know a lot of the the contours outside the green or kind of on the edges of the green are big transitions. But once you're in the right spot, you know you're going to be okay, and so you can go from one part of the green to the next and still most of the time stay on if you if you hit a good shot you'll be rewarded so it maintains its playability because of in large part because of tad skill but also because i mean there was a ton of attention to detail paid just in the regular shaping process and the construction process to make sure that we didn't come untethered and just just float away into the ether i mean we had to keep it grounded in in the fundamentals of of good architecture but we were definitely trying to to push the envelope and i mean i 
you know, there was a couple times I was a little nervous. I mean, I was a little nervous on four. Um, Gus, the, the guy that shaped the, the hole, he knows probably like the fifth or sixth green he had built. And he and I were like really on the same page at that point. And um, we, it was just a bunch of dirt out there. And we kind of, I painted the outline of the green, kind of knew where it was going to go, had some basic ideas. And he's like, Rob, man, just let me go fucking crazy here, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, all right, Gus, go for it, man. And um, and and that's, that's what came out, you know. And, and that's what you have to do with, like, really talented people like Gus and, and, and other people. You know, you have to get them to buy into the vision, and, and you have to trust them and understand, you know, know as long as they're working in in a box that's part of the overall vision that you want, you just let those guys go. And, 90, and if they're still working in that box, you know, drawing from the same well of information that you're drawing from, you know, you're 99% of the time you're going to get a great result. And, and it's more fun for Gus, too, you know, because you've got – freedom and you can have fun and if, it, if there's something that's not right i mean you know you change it like on number four for instance i thought that the back of the grain during construction was too severe and there weren't enough pinnable areas and um and gus was like rob come on the street's like twenty thousand square feet and i'm like no man we gotta we gotta mellow it out in a couple spots and and those are like the little changes the little details that you make you know Everything was like 99% perfect. We just needed to like tweak it just a touch, and we did. And then Tad came in and like finished off this perfect grain. And now it's like it's like one of the coolest grains I've ever seen. It's, it look, like it's more know? similar to a Native American like serpent mounding like yeah. burial ground than any gr- any golf course I've ever seen. <laughs> like yeah. I would compare it more to that than a golf course. It's it's awesome. It's like my favorite hole in the world. Number 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 four is your favorite, Tron. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love five, but but four is. No, just... I mean that's cool to hear because I love hearing people say their favorite hole, and you know, a lot of times that's like one of my favorite things is that you know people always say a different hole, and I think that's really cool. I think it's a different hole every time I've played it. I mean, for some reason, I love two, especially that bottom that bottom bowl pin there on two. Oh yeah, five is always incredible fun. But eight, when you, especially when you put the pin right there in the middle of the beer, it's there. That one's an absolute blast. Like, and that's that's what's cool. One about playing two pins at once, like we did, is like the, that fourth green. It's basically like five greens in one. I mean, it's you can make twenty different golf holes out of one golf hole. And for a place that's only nine holes, I think. Along that, along with all the cross country holes, which we haven't really even talked about. I was gonna say, I think my favorite holes, one of the cross country holes. Yeah, but <laughs> I won't get into that. And that's just kind of what what that makes this place just this like what you're saying like this huge sandbox is uh, is you know, yeah, you need the variability when you have a nine hole course to really take it to the next level, and that's what you guys done. But um, if we're sitting here, it's it's uh, October twenty second, twenty eighteen. Um, I hope like forty years in the annals, somebody will uncover this podcast and hear this about the building of the Butt Club. But you're going to answer it now what is a realistic expectation for shovels going in the ground at the buck club date wise i mean i think when snow melts in 2019 really yeah i mean we've got a lot of momentum right now uh, you know a couple of the partners of the land are a lot more on board i think after seeing what's been going on the last little while and coming out to the ringer and just you know a lot of a lot of people have you know, just kind of offered their word and just said that they want it to happen and that they'll be willing to kind of sack up and 
do what they need to do. So we've had a, a lot of positivity behind this thing. So we're ready to get it rolling. Zach, how do you balance your golf career with that timeline or just with, with the buck club in general? How do you, you know, especially May, we'll just say May 1st next year, shovels are in the ground. You've got, you know, you got, that's kind of the, you're on the web tour primarily next year. That's kind of your big time of the year. How do you, how do you square those two things? Yeah, I just got to play better, I guess, so I can take more time off to get this thing <laughs> or get this thing done. At the end of the day, you know, something like this is, you know, bigger than some, some, it's bigger than golf almost, you know, it's kind of a, a chance to build something that not a lot of people get to do. You know, there's a lot of great golfers in the world. There's probably fewer really unbelievable places at least in America. So it's a, it's a cool opportunity for sure. What, uh, on the, on the financial front, how much do you need? How close are you? What, what else do you need on the monetary front to really push this thing, uh, push this thing through? Uh, one, you know, we definitely need a, we need to lock this thing up with the, with the partners at the land to see what we can do there, which I think we're on the right track. And then, uh, there, there are a few different options. You know, we either need somebody with super, to come in and fall in love with the project and, and want to do something like this or we need kind of a lot of people to step up and, and get involved um, founding members and stuff like that but we've had we've had both sides of that kind of reach out and show interest so now we uh, just need people to step up well, last thing, once you uh, once you plug, Will, what you got going on with the online auction here? What's up for bid, and uh, what what all that is going towards? Yeah, so we got this online auction going on. We got some rounds at some really good clubs around the world. Um, we got some pretty unique, one of a kind pieces of artwork and some some putters that were specially made for the event. You know, uh, some irons that are custom for anybody who wins them. Um, but all of that stuff is going to kind of the planning and development and, and the things that we need to kind of get in place as far as like, you know, Rob and Tad did this master plan kind of for free you know, or did it before they got paid, you know, which isn't like, you know, master plans aren't cheap, stuff like that for, you know, that I think you need to be able to show people um, serious investors and stuff like that. So, you know, that stuff's going to pay Rob and Tad future site visits, bringing people out and, and just kind of the planning and development to make this thing actually happen. I guess last question on my end, what, uh, what hole for each of you guys, what hole are you most excited about that's on the current, current plan? I mean, for me, um, it's, it sounds crazy, but literally every single hole is... <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not letting you off the hook hole. like that. One hole, one hole. Um, I'm pretty excited to see number seven, to be honest. Um, it's this big cape-style hole. The green kind of hangs out over the edge of this cliff. Kind of three sides of the green fall off way down this mountain and it's like 390 but you can drive it kind of everything that lands into like 260 to 270 area gets this massive kick and goes towards the green but at the same time if you try and bite off more than you can handle you could probably like get lost in the sauce out there for sure rob what about you well i'll, I'll answer two two different holes one for me and one for tad i know that tad is like over the moon 
excited about shaping the Sitwell grain. There's a there's a grain that's inspired by Mackenzie's famous Sitwell hole. Um, um, our our version is just going to be probably pushing an acre in size. I mean, it's going to be like twice as big as the the big grain at Sweden, and it's going to be so <laughs> insane and wild. I mean, it's going to be close to forty thousand square feet, and it's just going to be cascading up this hill. I mean, it's just it is going to be utterly jaw dropping when it when it's done, and one of the coolest holes in the entire world. Um, for me. Um, I was going to say seven. I think that's a, a really good one. Number nine, the little short hole, kind of encapsulates a lot of the stuff that Zach and I have been talking about. There's a little little downhill shot. We're going to build this big barranca, like think um, L.A. Country Club or, or something like that, you know, kind of a natural drainage wash area. And this short hole, kind of inspired by the one at National, sits in the middle of the barranca. And like Plaza Tampo, you know, there's these, gnarly bunkers that are kind of crawling up out of the barranca and you know growing into the green and then right behind the the, the green is, is number number 10 t and it's all just this island in the barranca and, and that ha- and zach and i are real sticklers about transitions between golf holes that's one thing that we both pay a lot of attention to like really good golf courses they like nail the transitions between holes they, it's like so good it makes you want to go crazy and like that that has like maybe the coolest transition on the golf course plus it's got the chance of like a birdie or maybe a hole in one if you step up and hit the great shot or it's going to be like total ejection city if you if you, if you don't hit the shot i mean it's, it's kind of got all the dynamics and i think that hole is going to be amazing well speaking for both of us uh, using some words of wisdom that i just learned today i think i uh, let me say just just go fucking nuts guys just go do it <laughs> i love it yes so we're excited man. It. It was, it, congratulations on a great week zach and rob and for all you guys have done and uh, everything you're doing to get this project off the ground i know a lot of people think it's uh it might not happen but uh, i left feeling pretty motivated and inspired to do anything i can to help make it happen it sounds like it's going to be a real special place in the golf world so thank you you guys for taking the time to walk us through it and uh, for giving us a, a great weekend of golf awesome thanks for all your support guys it was great hanging out you too yeah thank you guys appreciate it and you know we got to work on those handicaps next year <laughs> i won the gross <laughs> man it wasn't even sand- net oh my god super, you can't sandbag sandy, when you win it gross Dolly took all the big toys home <laughs> listen listen all the ones that you would let me take home and and and, oh and, and like Kevin Kisner's on record as saying I'm the worst six handicap that's ever walked the the face of the earth. Like, <laughs> the place just inspires good play. Just let me say it. So it really does. It really does. Oh my gosh! All right, guys. Thanks again. Thanks for the time. Cheers. Okay, Thanks. Cheers. See you later. Crack on. Cheers. Crack on. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!